Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner it's the autosport podcast we preview the 2018 macau grand prix with dan tickton and dick bennett's It's that time of the year again. The 65th Macau Grand Prix takes place this weekend. It remains the biggest junior single-seater race of the year by quite some margin, and last year's race proved to be something of a sensation thanks to the spectacular finish. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look ahead to the race, first is the man who benefited from Sergio Setkamara and Ferdinand Habsburg, both coming to grief at the final corner to take a, a very famous victory, Dan Tictum. Now, you're going back this year to, to defend your Macau title. It must be quite special to go back to the, the scene of your, your most famous victory. Definitely. I mean, I think you could approach it from two ways, really. You could either have a lot of pressure or think, you know, there's no pressure at all, actually. And I think as um, soon as I knew I was going to go back, which was sort of about halfway through this year, uh, I put myself under a fair amount of pressure. Like, oh, I have to win it again, otherwise, you know, I'll look useless, <laughs> you know. And But I think, to be honest... You know, I've I've proven that I've had a good year. I'm just going to go and enjoy it. To be honest, it's going to be my last race in in F3. Um, my last probably chance to go to Macau. Uh, you know, I've already won it, but I think this year I would like to. I'd like to really. I don't know. I feel like last year it didn't go quite to plan, even though I won. Uh, qualifying, testing, everything. It was all sort of, everything was stacked against me a little bit. So I think I'd like to go there this year with even more experience that I've done it. You know, it's been my third year in a row. Um, that, you know, I think the team have learned more from last year as well. So hopefully I will uh, be able to win again, but we'll see. Well, good luck. It's uh, a big <laughs> challenge to win there twice. It would be quite some achievement. Some drivers have, but it's uh, it's rare. And my second guest is, uh, well, a star with the past at Macau. Macau royalty, you could you could say. Dick Bennett, team boss of West Surrey Racing, of course, for a very long time an F3 team, twice won the Macau Grand Prix, now more well-known as a, as a touring car team. How important is Macau to you? You have been back since the F3 days, occasionally with, with Tintops, but it's been quite a big part of big part of your life. 
Yep. Um, 83 the first year and um, everyone was new. So that was a, a challenging thing. No one had been there before. And when we first got there and saw the track, well, what the hell are we doing here? Compared to what it is now, it was very antiquated, very rough. There was no facilities at all. Um, we'd finish up preparing the cars down in a garage, dusty and everything. In fact, no, I think year one, we didn't even have that. Um, but going back to the last time we went with the touring car, 2011, 2012, facilities are very good now. And it's it's a legendary race because the fact of having such a combination of races there now, the Formula 3, the sports cars, touring cars, It's um, we love going every year. It was um, 13 years we went consecutive. We didn't miss one year, even though we didn't do one year of F3. We did Formula 3000. Uh, Maurizio still wanted to go back and have another go at winning, but we've never actually won it with the same driver twice. So we tried three times with Eddie Irvine, but um, problems always arose and got in the way or whatever. You know, we won races with Eddie, but never won both. So. And my final guest, I guess we can call you the Diane of Formula 3 journalists, Marcus Simmons. Now, F3's changed dramatically in recent years, and there's still more changes to come, but Macau still does retain its luster doesn't it it's a, it's a huge race it does yeah i mean the the days um that dick was taking cars there with west surrey racing it was um you know all the all the f3 championships from around the world um coming together but um in more recent years because of the way the sport has gone it's it's basically basically become a european championship field with um half a dozen from the japanese championship in there as well and and uh, you know, maybe a couple of drivers coming from from other categories ret- returning to F3, um, but yeah, it hasn't lost any of its luster because it's still an amazing event, and it's even more so when you're actually there. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't suppose Dan will have um, been aware of this on the last lap of the race last year, but the, the atmosphere is amazing. The crowd are going absolutely wild, and um, you know everything. Well, I said the last lap, but we're probably talking about the last three or four laps of that race. And you know, I, I, I remember thinking at the time that it's the, the best motor race I've ever been at um, last year's Macau Grand Prix. Most exciting. It was absolutely spectacular to watch and obviously became a bit of a social media hit as well with people watching the, watching the finish. Well, simple question, Dan. We've got two people here who know very well how to answer this or at least answered it well in, in the past. Macau's a race that's been won by some famous names, very accomplished drivers, plenty of great drivers who've never managed to win there despite being quick. So what does it take to win Macau? What's the secret? It's a very difficult thing, to be honest. Don't give too much away to um, I think, yeah, of course. Uh, I'll tell you afterwards, after the race. <laughs> no, I think it depends what your experience level is at Macau when you go there. So for me, turning up after my third year, you know, in practice, you get, uh, enough practice but I mean I'll be able to hit the ground a bit more running than other people will and the people who are less experienced just need to accept that you know uh, and just sort of build up on everything at, at your own pace almost um, the important thing in testing is not crashing <laughs> you know you, you've literally just got to go out at 50% then 55% next lap 6% next lap and just build up and up and up the best thing you can do is just get your references of braking and you know uh, and being aware of how close the car is to the wall as quickly as possible which is something even I'm gonna have to do because I haven't had to do that pretty much all year apart from Poe at the beginning (laughs) so yeah I mean references I think is a very very big thing at Macau and then just building on it really Uh, qualifying is how lucky you are at getting out without having a red flag Uh, I got royally um uh, stuffed by that last year as did most of the field but you know i think carlin were quite intelligent at sending their drivers out halfway through the session when everyone was putting their tires on so they had a clear lap uh because obviously more people are in the pits less likely to have red flags less cars on track to crash so that was quite clever um but uh and then in, in, as far as the race goes you know you can qualify you know just inside the top 10 or even just outside the top 10 and you think in every other race oh that's you know you you can't win from there apart from maybe spa but you know even on the last three laps you know i think i was i was fifth or sixth you know and then you you just never know what's going to happen so you just have to keep keep focused on yourself 
keep driving consistently without making any mistakes, heating up the rear tires, all the rest of it, and uh, wait for other people to make mistakes because they do <laughs> quite a lot. Now, I did see a big nod of agreement from you there, Dick, the point about not crashing. It was what Dan was saying there, sort of share a little bit with what you've told many drivers yeah, over the years. I totally agree. The biggest thing going to Macau is keep the car on the track day one. Because one of the problems there being a street circuit is a lot of oil down. So there's very little grip. And so many guys try to go too quick on day one. So as soon as you shunt, you're losing track time. So the guys have got to repair the car. So just, you know, I totally agree, Dan. So just build up day one. The track will get quicker day two. And then it gets quicker as the weekend goes on. So often the fastest lap, I don't know if it is currently, but the fastest lap can still be done in a race. In a race, yeah. More so than qualifying. Yeah. Because you think qualifying, you rubber couple of runs at it you'll be the quickest lap of the weekend but because the track evolves so the the biggest thing is keep off the wall that you know can always bite you it's so easy to you know the cars are quick around there and very little downforce because such a long straight so then it's getting the car to work mechanically up the twisty bit um but it's just a and yeah the the more years you go the more experience you get and um, the early days we had no data at all to look at so it was only the latter years we had some basic data whereas I know if we had a single seater now the amount of data we get off a touring car it's unreal so I assume a F3's the same or better but those days you have to take the word of the driver what he says about the car plus your own knowledge of how the car works on a bumpy track um, so I know it's, it's a it can come back and bite you, Macau. It's one of those tracks where just take it easy and build up your pace. Because you look at the the drivers who have done the the season this year, the the Euro Series, and some of the drivers who haven't been to Macau and have done this championship, they're used to the car being relatively on high downforce. You know, it's much lower. I think it's like fifteen mil higher. The, the cars run obviously a lot softer. Springs, everything. The car, the car is almost like driving a different car. And then. You take away 40% of the grip or whatever as well at Macau. And, you know, so, yeah, like I, like I said, it's just adjusting yourself to that, really, especially if you haven't got so much experience there. It is one of those races that people sort of say about, say, the Indy 500, it's a race that chooses you. And there is a there is a slice of luck in Macau. You don't win Macau by, by luck, but you need luck at least not to go against you. There's so many things that can catch you out that are nothing to do with you. Yeah, I mean... It- it puts me in mind of another great cliche that you can you can only lose a race on the first lap rather than win it. And um, yeah, um, there some people some people last year were saying, "Oh, oh Dan Tickton was a bit lucky to to win that." But I I just don't subscribe to that kind of thing because um, Dan put himself in a position to win when what was increasingly looking like an inevitable accident actually happened. <laughs> it was <laughs> and, looking rather juicy from my yeah. perspective. <laughs> and, and um, you know, he had had, <clears throat> he had had a setback that he's already talked about with the, with the tires in the, in the first race, but he, you know, he chipped away in the, in the final and uh, made him, made his way forward, did a great double move on Lando Norris and Maxi Gunter, I think it was down yeah. to Lisboa yeah. to move up to third. And then, uh, yeah, you can, you could see that um, Sergio Satkamara in the lead was beginning to struggle with his tyres, and yes. uh, Ferdinand Habsburg was um, was getting more and more adventurous in his bids <laughs> to pass. And and so yeah, Dan, out of the eight, you, know, you, you look back and think, yeah, there were eight possible winners of that race, but Dan was the one who put himself into the position um, on that last lap. And yeah, in a way, the race does choose you, but um, but he was there to take advantage. I think a lot of drivers wouldn't have tried that move that I did at Lisboa. I think I think like you know, people are always gonna you know say negative things about me because I'm me. But you know, and you know, there is an element of luck, and people will say it's lucky. You know, I thought on the day it was lucky, but you know weeks go by and you think yeah like you just say I mean I, I did put myself in the position and I think obviously if I hadn't have done that move it would have been Lando or Gunter who would have won you know so I, I had to do that move then you know and, and going into the the last race the the final I was just aiming for the podium so I could see that third spot and I, that's what I was going for you know and I was happy at that point um but if you go back further in the weekend you know I qualified sixth I I in my mindset then, you know, I still had a lot to learn. I'd only done, you know, I wasn't very experienced. I'd only done one full season of car racing in Formula Renault. 
and uh, I was sixth, I think, for the first race. And I thought I was a disaster. Like I was, I was pretty distraught to be honest. And then I went backwards in the next race because uh, the tires went off, and uh, I was feeling pretty unconfident to be honest I was eighth I was just like right I had no, I had no pressure though because I was just like I, I don't think I can win this now you know and I just went out and, and like I said at the beginning just did everything to my own reference my own ability and kept consistent and stuff just seems to sometimes come your way at Macau. Is Liz Boa still the same as it used to be? Yes uh, there's, there's a massive bump and the braking as well yeah. which you've got to be quite careful of and, and it is by and large the same. And still yeah. a lot of sip streaming down Yeah it's there. huge yeah. yeah I mean if you if you start if you start pole I mean people say you'll never get down to turn one first but I mean what you want to do is let one pass and then you can slip stream them back into turn one I mean yeah being on pole is, is ironically not, not ideal at all at Macau so uh, yeah as long as you're in the sort of top six you're within a shot it's interesting Dick because as you said you haven't run a Formula 3 car at Macau for I guess 23 years now but it still seems very familiar the challenge now F3 cars have changed a lot but the, the fundamental challenge that makes Macau so so good and such an important race still seems to be there I think it's the track is the you must change the car to suit that track because it's unique that as Dan said you must run the ride height quite a bit higher some tracks in the UK, we used to run the car three or four mil higher, but you try that in Macau, just bottom out. You know, you're such high speed in certain areas, even though you run low downforce. We actually, I don't know if they do it these days, but we actually learned after a couple of years, we'd actually qualify with quite high downforce to get your good lap time around the top. Then we'd trim the wings off for race day to keep your straight line speed up. Yeah, we still, everyone still does that now, yeah. It's uh, is a balance. I mean, it's it's what you gain in in sector two is obviously you lose in in the straights when you're qualifying. But I mean, yeah, that run one run down to turn one or turn four th- three. Sorry, Lisboa is <laughs> three. Yeah, uh, on, in a race, you you need to be quick in the straights, otherwise you just get done by everyone. Do you so. slipstream with teammates now in qualifying? Uh, you ideally want to have a very faint slipstream so it doesn't harm you round sector two but it's quite difficult to to get that right uh, right gap and obviously to the right driver because some drivers are quicker than others and you know it's quite difficult to to judge it but I mean if you expend I would say more than half a lap thinking about that and trying to prepare yourself then you just need to get on with your lap even if you're by yourself well you should just, just do the slipstream and down the straight yeah. through the kink mandarin that was a yeah. bow out before you get to Lisboa because you've got to trust the driver ahead of you then to be quick enough through the twisty bit. Yeah. So um, we did it in 88 with Eddie Irvine and Alan McNish. 89, sorry. Um, Eddie got polled by himself in 88, which everyone was amazed, including himself, to the point where with one, two minutes to go, we hung the pit board out. Uh, P1, two minutes to go, and good old EI, he misinterpreted that as P2, one minute to go. So he tried hard on the last lap, and he crashed the car at Lisboa. And he's already on pole. <laughs> but that, yeah, Eddie was another story. I really ask from a team perspective, were you annoyed when he came back or happy? <laughs> I just said, why the effing hell did you crash? He said, well, I saw P2 one minute to go. I said, no, it's P1, two minutes to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't see that. There's a lesson there, Dan. Pay attention to your, yep. uh, to your pit bull. But, but it is, I mean, we talk a lot about towing and that kind of thing at Macau, but it is also a phenomenally difficult circuit. I think there will be still some people who haven't really seen, but if you watch an onboard lap, the tight, twisty section that, that most of the lap time can be can be found in, that's there's nowhere else that compares to it. I guess the only track maybe that starts to get that sort of narrowness is somewhere like Poe, but this is a yes. step on from that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, yeah, as I said a couple of minutes ago, I think if you start to overthink it to the point where you're then not really focusing on your driving then that's a problem in some tracks you can sort of get away with that because you've got runoff and stuff but but in Macau you need to be 100% focused on the driving like constantly and and if you're not that's when mistakes are going to happen and I, I know a lot of drivers do hunt for the slipstream far too much and when it comes to the lap they're actually not 100% focused on driving and make a mistake or you know, or even if you let the tires cool down too much, you can you can lose the peak, and it's quite difficult to to get the balance right. But like I said, I mean, if you get to the point where you're overthinking it, basically, it's better to just do the lap by yourself and just make sure you nail it by yourself. So yeah, you've got to be quite clever and experienced 
at which point you decide to you know slow down to wait or to go by yourself basically you know and there's a there's a fine line between choosing because obviously if you did nail the lap with a slipstream i think there is a couple of tents in it but you know you are more likely to make a mistake if you spend too long looking for it and that kind of stuff so you know you've got to to trade off <laughs> how many laps can you get out the rubber now and qualifying like well, last year was interesting. I mean, the track gets so much quicker, like you said earlier. I mean, from from practice to quality, it's two or three seconds or something ridiculous, I think. Um, but I went, I think, five or six minutes before the end of quality two, which is the you know the main one. I was on tyres that had already done a heat cycle because we had so many red flags. Uh, I think they're about 40k old at this point, and I went purple, purple, and then had the red flag about five seconds before the line. So the the tires, but everyone was in the same boat. So, you, but I mean, I think, I in an ideal world, it's you know out build push push, and then that's you know may, a very big cool, and then another push maybe if you're lucky. But I mean, the track just gets better throughout the whole session. So the tires will be good at the beginning, but the track will be better at the end. So, you know, it just depends on you. Just got to play it all by ear with the red flags and everyone you know making loads of mistakes and stuff. So. Well, Dick, I think this is a good time to talk a little bit about your past at Macau. And I think this is going to be a story you've probably been asked about a great many times. Of course, you're indelibly linked with the 83 Macau Grand Prix, the first F3 uh, race at Macau when Ayrton Senna won for, for West Surrey Racing. I mean, does that stand out as a high point of your career? And what, what was that experience like? Did it feel as important as it does now in retrospect? Yeah, no, I have to confess that um, firstly, going to Macau for the first time was a real eye-opener. I wished in hindsight now that we'd taken a video every year because we completed every year from 83, the first of F3, till we finished with F3, end of 95. And the transformation of that little place was incredible. But now 83 was um, quite a few reasons, to be honest, because Ayrton didn't arrive till the Wednesday night because he had been testing, I think, the Brabham at Paul Ricard. Had to fly up to Paris then Paris to Hong Kong, and then get the jet foil across. So he didn't even get a chance to walk around the track at all. He was straight into the car on Thursday. So to get pole position and be jet-lagged, and we'd uh, had to switch to Yokohama tyres like everyone. So it was a quite a challenge, and it was one of those street circuits where it evolved over the weekend, so you had to be careful where you started with a set-up on Thursday to where you finished on Sunday as the track rubbered in. And, of course, going there with, with just no knowledge, either as driver or team, that's you know that's almost unthinkable. Nothing today. at all, no. The other teams and drivers had all been there, like, since Sunday, so they'd walked the track together, drivers, engineers, and myself and a couple of the lads that worked for me walked around the track with a notepad and, like, yeah, turn left, turn right, you know, but didn't help Ayrton, you know. <laughs> He arrived late at night, Wednesday night, so he hadn't even seen the track and had to hop in the car Thursday morning. Did he even have a ride around in a taxi? I mean, I did that the first time. I think he might have the second night, but not the unless the taxi driver got lost. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that says a lot about him. But Marcus, this is part of the legend of Macau now, isn't it? This, yeah. this year. Yeah, and and um, it came together quite late as a Formula Three race that year, didn't it? Because yes, it was going to no, be. It, it was, was Formula Atlantic before, and um, Barry Bland, who coordinated it, was planning to be to convert it to Formula Two, and then that didn't happen. So yeah, I yeah. think there was not enough entries or something F two. So it, then it, F3. It, I think it was from Barry told me it was more of a um, track issue with uh, knocking down a couple of trees or something and the f2 cars would be too quick <laughs> oh okay could have been yes the the speed of the f2 round there no a fascinating circuit i still you know we last went there in a touring car but it's still incredible the the challenge around there so it's um now what we're now 2018 and um as i say we didn't miss a year at all from 83 till the end of 95 and i guess at that point it wasn't the, the kind of focal point of junior single seater racing. So, was it was it just something you decided to do, just kind of on a on a wing and a prayer at the end of the season, or, or did it? No, feel no, like an because race? you know you always try and win your local championship. But then the great thing Macau was then in those days it was you were up against the best of Germany, best of Italy, best of France, best of Japan. So that was a challenge on its own. It was a challenge in your own country because everyone's on the same tyres. But then to go to Macau on Yokohama's and you know eventually you know teams started taking it really seriously we go to Snetterton for a day's testing on the Yoko's 
um, even though they wouldn't be identical to what they issued out there, um, at least gave you a good feel for the tyres. Um, so no, it's you know we used to love going there. And certainly at that point, you know, you look at the the names that were competing in in, in that race. Very very strong field, is it? As it kind of always is. You know, guys like Martin Rummel, Roberto Gray, Pierre Luigi Martini, Gerhard Berger. They were they were the four cars that finished behind. Yes, uh, yeah, because uh, we uh, um, the Theodore we raced under the Theodore Racing banner, and it used to be three race cars and a spare car, and that was another story I'll tell you about EI that was cropped up later was. Um, on the second year, it was our turn to have one race car. Sorry, the first year we only had one car total. The second year with the spare car, it was, um, Eddie said, you must run the spare car for a lap. And I said, I'm quite happy. We prepare our cars properly, EI, um, EJ, sorry, EJ. Mixed up with Eddie Irvine now, that was later mm-hmm. again, more stories. Um with EJ, and he said, you've got to run the car for one lap. I said, no, no, it's prepared properly. We've run it around Snetterton. and it's ready to go if we need it. And he kept coming back every 10 minutes. You've got to go and do one lap, Dickie. You've got to go and do it. I said, no, no, we're right. And eventually he really leaned on me, right. So I got Stefan out into the spare car, did one lap, right. That night, EJ takes me up to meet Sid Taylor, and then Sid gives EJ a little envelope, and then we leave the meeting, and EJ said, there you go, there's your but a cash for doing one lap. I said, oh, okay, that's great, thanks. But I said, EJ, what happened the year before when you had the spare car? Where's my cash from the year before? <laughs> it's not often you catch EJ out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these, these are amazing days. I mean, obviously, looking at that, that Senna performance in particular, obviously, he talked about how quickly he got on top of the track, but you know, he was clearly a special driver at that time. Does Macau stand out as a great performance from him, particularly? Yes, it has to because if no one going there and him not even getting his eye in to put it on pole position, also then I still don't know honestly to this day apparently something happened Friday night because in those days we didn't run Saturday. It was Thursday, Friday, Saturday free, Sunday racing. And we were supposed to have a debrief Saturday about 1 o'clock up at the Theodore workshop up the top and the guys had prepared the car, got it finished and I just said to them, hang fire, because we might need to make a few changes after I sit with Ayrton. And he didn't turn up, didn't turn up, didn't turn up. He turned up about five o'clock Saturday afternoon. I looked at my watch. I said, a bit late, mate. He said, oh, I don't feel very well. I've been sleeping. I thought, okay, the jet lag, you know, might have caught up with him. But then on Sunday, rumors come up, oh, did you hear what he got up to Friday night? I said, no, <laughs> I hadn't. You know. He said, oh, he was out and he was drinking. I said, no, he doesn't drink. Don't. Yeah, don't wind me up. But apparently the story went that someone had laced his drink, someone in a bar somewhere. And I honestly don't know to this day who did it or what happened. But he did race one, and he then we sat for about two minutes in the gutter then. There was no proper garages. What's the case? It's all right, it's me. Just leave the car as it is. I need to go back to the hotel and have a sleep. So he disappeared back to the hotel for two or three hours, Come back, got in the car, went out and won race two. <laughs> I mean, as a team boss, you can't really complain, even if it, if it oh. was something he was responsible <clears throat> for. So the guys just put on the other set of tyres, fill it up, check everything over again, check the oil, water, away we go. <laughs> also, in those days, it, it was, um, yeah, the infrastructure was very different, wasn't it? You had the different um, pits. Oh, um, totally different. We were in the a... start finish line was in a different place. Uh, yes, yeah. And, it was... and the, the sea actually came up to the the track it, whereas now there's about one mile of streets a rebuilt it? yeah yeah no as, as That's i said earlier to think about that <laughs> i wished i'd had videos of the first time there because all those little huts where the people lived in the poorer people and f- in fairness to teddy yep after about two years ago going apparently teddy had given them all some money each of those people living in the tin huts and they were supposed to improve their lifestyle. But then the next year we went back, all they had outside was a big fridge, freezer, and TVs. So they <laughs> spent all their money, these tiny tin sheds, but a massive big TV screen and a big fridge, freezer. So, But Teddy was very, I must say, very helpful towards all the locals there. Hmm. No, it's a phenomenal amount of change that's, uh, that's gone on there. I mean, obviously it wasn't that wasn't the only time you won the Macau. Grand Prix a couple of years later with uh, Mauricio Mauricio, as well, which is remembered less by the wider world. But you know, well, that was also incredible from him because 
he was very good friends with Ayrton, so Ayrton helped him a bit, guided him on what to do, not what to do. Um, but also, that was the first year we'd actually had to change the cars from full ground effects to flat floor. So he was, um, he did an incredible job as well. Pole position won both races. But Marcus, there is one other famous Macau Grand Prix that wasn't a win, but still talked about a lot. Perhaps you quickly. Yeah, set dick up for that one. I know. I mean, the, the 1990 race, and I, I can remember. I can't remember whether you were editor at the time, or Ed, but uh, I was asked to uh, do a feature on what I thought was the greatest junior single seater race of all time. And when you look at the field for that 1990 Macau Grand Prix, it's very, very hard to beat. Um, not just Michael Schumacher and Mika Hakkinen, but a lot of other F1. Um, drivers of the future and touring car stars as well so yeah and obviously ended up with uh, a clash should have been a win (laughs) for Mika of course you were running it was yeah Mika and Eddie EI and um, uh, good laugh you have those two guys together but old position um, first in heat one and I'll never ever forget it to this day I said to him before the first race Win by as much as you safely can. Yeah, yeah, okay, I understand that. So when he started the last lap, he was four point something seconds ahead of Michael. I thought, okay, good boy. And then he came around and crossed the line, I think one and a half, 1.7 seconds ahead. So when he did his slow lap and come in, you know, I said, why did you slow down? He said, well, I have a big lead still. I said, you had four seconds. Why did you back off? He said, well, there's such a big lead. I said, what did I tell you? Win by, in case you have a problem, race two, because it's a combined race. And I said, right, if Michael does slipstream past you, race two, let him go, because as long as you stay within one second, you've won Macau Grand Prix. Yep, yep, okay, I understand. Sounds like very sound advice. So, yeah, just (laughs) just stick within one second, and you've won the Macau Grand Prix. So, yeah, yeah, I understand. And, of course, he went out, and Michael did slipstream past, so let them go. We had the troubles of those days. We had no car to pitch radios. It was the old plug-in Peltor system. So I couldn't talk to him. So he was about a second behind for seven, eight, nine laps. And then just about, because the old pit still, we weren't in the new pits. He went out of sight, that fast kink mandarin bend, I think it's called. And he was right up Michael's gearbox. I thought, what are you doing, you know? And then about five seconds later, there's a big crowd. I thought, oh, okay, he's got past him. He didn't have to. So we had no TVs down on our pit wall. So I ran upstairs to a TV, and here's our Marlborough Theodore route in the wall. And I just could not believe it. What was the conversation like after the race? (sighs) It wasn't very pleasant. (laughs) I guess it's just racing driver, isn't it? Just car ahead. I just could not believe it when he... I'd explain to him, as long as you stay within a second, you've got 1.7 second lead. You can, you know, you've won the Macau, Macau Grand Prix. And that year also was Fuji the next week. Um, so it was a double whammy to win, I think, 20,000. Well, Dan, you're, you're part of that Macau legacy now. You're up there on the, the winner's board with the Senners, the, the Schumachers. Do you ever give yourself a moment just to look at that and think, wow, that's, that's something pretty special? Yeah, I mean... You always look at what the, your past heroes have achieved, and you know all the best ones have one Macau, if you could argue. So, um, I mean, to win it twice would be great. I think the, who who was is it Mortara, the most recent driver who's run it twice or in a row? Rosenfist in, in a row. Uh, who uh, won it in a row? Yeah, uh, Rosenfist yeah, won it twice in a row. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, to win it twice in a row would be great. I was I <laughs> at the beginning of the year, I didn't think that had been done, but then I quickly went on Wikipedia, and I think three or four drivers have done it. So. You know, but I would like to be added to that list, to be honest. So that's that's the aim, anyway. Uh, it'd be interesting to go back a little bit to the the setup challenges in detail. Last year, there was an update kit on the car that slightly changed things, I think, in terms of the the approach. In that, the traditional lean it out completely largely still applies, but there was a little bit of a change to the way you could do things because I think the towing was easier, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So the area kit that came came on the car, it just added weight, really. And it did also add downforce. But at Macau, when you take everything off, I think lap times are pretty much the same, if not slightly slower with the extra weight. I mean, I don't know exactly how much heavier it is, but it's, you know, it's substantial. It's 15 kilos or something like that, if, if I remember rightly. And you just lose 
all of that in sector two and all the twisty bits because 15 kilos doesn't sound like a lot but it really is you know if you've got yeah weight i think unfortunately in this day and age everything's getting heavier so <laughs> it's nice for the f3 car to still be relatively light but i mean it, i think at macau particularly it was better with the old spec because so i drove it in 2016 when it had the old spec and i remember it being noticeably more nimble you know and it's, it's like i said it's only 15 kilos but um the you'll main... have to go back to that sorry no yeah. you're not no, <laughs> no unfortunately no um but it has a big effect on the tires as well that 15 kilos um it makes them work a lot more particularly over a, a race distance i mean a race distance the first one's 10 laps and then 15 laps doesn't sound like a lot but they're all you know two minute 15 laps so it is relatively long and uh the yokohama i mean i i don't know again <laughs> you know but i know the spec of tire that we had last year is, I think, a few years old. Um, and it wasn't adapted for the heavier car with the new aero kit on it, like you said. So that was something that was a bit difficult because the year before we had Pirelli. So no one was really perfectly, um, what's the word, uh, tuned in to uh, the new aero kit on the, uh, on the Yokohamas. So that's something I think everyone learned last year. Uh, so I think hopefully we'll be even better for this year in, in that sense. I mean, you, you'll have done a, you've done some Macau testing, haven't you, on Yokohamas? But do they, do they yeah, just I mean, give the you tracks, old ones? Or you know, they they they're, they're relatively similar, and mm. the way they behave is all similar. But um, you know, you're doing it on everyone who's done their Macau pro. I won't say where I've done mine, but you know, you're doing it on tr normal tracks with high grip. You know, so it just feels weird because the car's set up for Macau. You know, which is but you know you've got high grip so you sometimes even get only one lap on the tires there really but uh yeah it's still useful to to drive the car in a macau trim that's for sure um especially with the low downforce and stuff uh it's like i said at the beginning completely different to drive so yeah i mean i've driven a few cars now the gp3 car is the obvious comparison you know similar sort of driver level up the categories as f3 as you could you could say but i mean i don't know how, how much heavier it is but i know it's over 50 kilos and it's just feels so much worse in that sense you know just it's it's just a shame that everything's so heavy i mean even f1 now you can even feel it on the sim <laughs> when i do that you know uh the downforce is massive you know suzuka is a good example you go through all of sector one everything's really quick and you get to the hairpin and like you know the really slow corner and it's just all the weights there and the downforce doesn't work and it's like i'm driving an 800 kilo car you know so uh that's a bit of a shame but yeah luckily the f3 cars are still relatively light so yeah works quite well in macau for one more weekend yeah exactly yeah i mean it's going to be very interesting i'm sure we'll talk about the future of macau at some point but well this is quite yeah. a good sign but what is the future of macau because perhaps marcus you can outline why f3's not continuing in the way that we know it it's well, a long, long story but yeah do the condense try and condense it as much as possible yeah the the uh for, for, for various reasons it was decided that one make formula three was the way to go and at the same time they were trying to move it onto the formula one package to replace gp3 um and uh so so the new fia formula three championship um slots in below formula one and formula two um on on that package with a new one mate car from delara using as far as we know very similar engine and gearbox to the current gp3 car yeah and obviously it's going to be heavier and than the current F3 car. And uh, I think less power as well than GP3. Yes, so they're going to turn... GP3 is nearly yeah. 400, and I think mm. they're coming down quite a lot, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if you hear those numbers, and I'm probably right, it's probably going to be not very nice to drive, to be honest. But, I mean, I might get to drive one at some point, and, we'll, and then we'll see. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So it's actually replacing GP3 now. As well, it? yeah. As well. So now you've got, this, you've got this regional F3 thing, which is the same car as it is now, running with... DTM for next year so uh, they'll still have this car which is yeah know. that's not regional F3 though that's even I don't know F3 driver I don't know this shows how confusing it, it is, is very confusing. so will yeah. there be a British F3 championship there still is one yeah, but it, that's a different car the Tatus and uh, it's yeah. not really F3 as we know it's, it, is it? No, it's sort that's of, the Jonathan Palmer car yeah sort of f3 3.75 <laughs> yeah this doesn't sound like it's tempting you to get back into f3 well i've 
I used to follow it, but I must say the last few years has been, I still get quite a few people come and ask me what direction to go for their sons and that. And I sat one day and drew it out on a piece of paper and it was so confusing a few years ago, you come from karting to which direction to go and there's none of them could guarantee you a path to F1. And I had it with Rob Collard, with Ricky Collard. And I sat with Rob and went through and I said, there's a rough guess at Costomation speaking to GP3 team, speaking to GP2 team, speaking to Renault teams, uh, Formula 3 Europe teams, uh, Japan. And like, there's just, it was such a maze to which way to try and aim to go to try and help guarantee a stepping stone. But they come to the conclusion now it was so difficult and it's probably Dan knows better than me, but you you have to just be in the right place at the right time totally, yeah. to get that chance to prove yourself. Because there is a lot of good young kids out there, but it's getting that good opportunity and take that opportunity and try and do the best with it. Definitely. I mean, you spoke briefly about costs. I mean, I think even since you drew that piece of paper up a few years ago, it's gone even more through the roof since then. I mean... You know, I can't say I don't still think exactly what I'm doing next year, but I mean, F2 is looking unlikely purely because of the fact it's so stratospheric <laughs> in price terms. So, you know, I mean, I think uh, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to say because <laughs> I don't know what I'm about to say about next year. But, you know, my dad can't afford it. You know, Red Bull don't want to pay for it because it's just huge. So, you know, it's just getting to the point now where you know, don't want to toot my own horn too much, but you know, a very promising driver can't actually do F2 because it's too expensive, you know. To so, me, which is a shame, but as Dan it's said, just, there's just a, a lot joke, of young though. kids out there. But how do you get to prove yourself? I, my personal view is that a lot of those category prices should be bought down to within reach. You don't have to have all the high technology on these cars for a driver to prove themselves. What you're trying to do for a young driver is to prove they're better than the guy next to him in similar equipment or the same, but Correct. there hasn't got to be, you know, budgets that are one, two million pounds. Yeah, you're close to two now for top teams in, in Formula Two. I mean it is around two by the time you've, you know, finished everything. But it's you know everyone who talks about most sports says oh you know it's only for rich people blah blah blah. I mean this is where they're they're getting their ammo from you know <laughs> because to do F two you do need that amount of money you know so I mean of course the young driver programs are still supporting the drivers who are talented enough and you know even other sponsors you know whether it be oil banks or whatever you know they're still supporting drivers but obviously you are getting a lot of drivers who are still paid for by daddy you know which is what everyone says is wrong with the sport and you know if you've got the money you can do it but I think there's too many of them at the moment and I think obviously that is going to be the case if it costs two million to do F2. <laughs> and it, it's pretty worrying when you've got a Red Bull driver such as yourself, Red Bull rate you as a driver they believe you have a future possibly in formula one and the fact red bull which does have effectively near effectively infinite resources that they can quite justifiably look at something like f2 and say that's just not that's just not worth it. i don't blame them it's it's terrifying isn't it yeah i mean i don't blame them to be honest for, uh, for look i don't want to sit here and, and judge the quality of the f2 championship because look you know in terms of the the experience you get being on the f1 package and the, and the the the, the tracks and the tires it's all great but, you know, the car isn't fabulous. You know, it's good, but it's not worth two million quid a year. You know, that... And anyway, so I'll draw a line under the F2 conversation from my part there anyway, <laughs> before I start saying too many things anyway. You'd never do that. You'd never do that. Um, <laughs> do you remember, Dick, because obviously you did 3,000 with, with Guggenman in, what, 86? What, Just what, the one what, year. What was the sort of step up? What was the sort of cost you, uh, you had um, applied for oh, We hadn't planned to do 3,000, so... We went in the deep end, and um, we were going to be running the young Bertrand Fabi, who was unfortunately killed testing. So it was Maurizio that came back to me. He said, I've been around all these 3,000 teams. I don't really trust them. All they're after is my money. I want you to run me in 3,000. I said, we've never done it, Maurizio. I don't want to do something with your ability with something we haven't done as a team. But he twisted my arm. And we did it, but it was a nightmare. We got one third place, I think, all year. And I felt bad for him because we 
it was a March H6B, pull rod front suspension, absolute nightmare to work with. If you'd had a car for six months and understood it, gone testing, but we arrived like two days before race one with this brand new car, and you, you got no chance to try and develop a car while the team's learning, the driver's learning. Um, so we bowed out slightly. again. Sorry? Yeah, chucked in the deep end slightly. Oh, then. just <laughs> unbelievable deep end. Um, and we raced at Poe, and we were told by March, you need the high downforce package for Poe. So I bought all of that, the bigger front wings, the bigger rear wings. And Maurizio said, the car's just glued to the ground too much. So between sessions, we went back. I said, well, should we go back to the standard package? He said, yeah, yeah, let's try it for the next session. So I went back to the standard package, less downforce. He wrote the car off because going up the hill after the hill. The really long right-hander, the it, turn five. Before that bridge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, we, he was going so much quicker out the hairpin, the car bottomed with less downforce because of the speed, and he, when he came to brake up the top of the hill, he had no steering. So one written off March 86B with Spa the following weekend. So I thought, if, you know, this is 3,000. I'm not enjoying this. So we went back to F3 the following year. But at least possible to kind of step we, up if you like whereas yeah, yeah i just at least uh, realistic you know, financially should we say even if the the challenge was uh yeah i mean if you've gone into and plan to do it and had the budget to do it i mean Maurizio had a good budget but if to me if you're going to do any type of chamber you must do it properly and be prepared to do it properly whereas we were just in the deep end and it was i didn't enjoy it at all it was, yeah, there were plenty of very good teams that would have struggled in that sort of uh, that sort of situation. Well, well, let's have a little bit of a look at the 2018 Macau Grand Prix, Marcus. Perhaps you can pick out, sort of set the scene for us in terms of the favourites. Obviously, at the top of the entry list, we have uh, Dan Tickton for for Motor Park. So, obviously, he'll win. But we'll be talking about who's going to be second. <laughs> uh, who, who are the Thanks. Who are the other Who are the who's other the fans, main competitors? I'm looking. Of course, at we it. should say Dan himself was. Not an outsider, but he came in last year as, as not an F3 regular. I'd, I'd so, say yeah, he was. Two he days was, of testing exactly. in F3 last year. So, so it shows how a quality driver with with a good team can come in and create an upset. Yeah, I mean, um, Dan was definitely an outsider last year because um, yeah, he'd, he'd come in after doing a season of Formula Renault and about three-eighths of a season of GP3 or something. So um, this is actually the first time he goes to Macau as a Formula 3 regular so that would be quite interesting yeah because the, 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 <laughs> uh, the first time I went it was just fresh from my ban and I'd done again only a few days testing I did a few days testing that year in F3 but you know yeah I mean I feel I feel the least pressure actually this year because um, I know I know if everything goes my way, I'll win because <laughs> I just know I'm the quickest at Macau I wouldn't say that about any other track but Macau is just yeah I just we get on <laughs> me and Macau. <laughs> um yeah and, and it's a good entry actually you've got um everyone really that you'd want from the from the European championship this year um it's going to be great um, yeah every, it, every race winner and a couple of a couple of guys who you would say probably should have won a race this year but didn't so you know really the top dozen or so from European F3 you've got a very good Japanese championship representation and we've got what we always like about Macau is a couple of um, people coming back to the category and we've we've, we've got that this year with with Callum Eilott and, and Joel Erickson and Erickson would be perfect to have as a teammate I think we're, we're going to be quite strong us two this year I'm looking forward to that mm. good I mean the, the interesting thing is um, um, obviously Sergio was coming back Last year, yes. Sergio Sekamara from yeah. a year in Formula Two. Joel's coming back from a year in the DTM, and I, yeah. and I assume he did the uh, Macau test on the same day as you. But... Uh, not on the same day as me, oh, right. no, but okay. in the same week, I think. Yeah, right. Oh, okay. Well, that just shows you how mm. all the drivers, even though they've, you know, you could say have gone past Formula Three or uh, you know up in their career, still want to come back and do the Macau Grand Prix because it's just that great. But you know, mm. anyway, there are some. Obviously, you've got most of the field from this year uh, there. I mean, I think Carlin have always been good at Macau. They haven't had an ideal year this year. I think that's fair to say, but I think they'll probably be quite quick at Macau. Uh, Finestraz was there last year. You know, Islet's been there a couple of times. So I think those two will probably be stronger than expected. Um, Ericsson will be good. I think Vips is very good at getting on the pace quickly. So I think come qualifying, he'll be there or thereabouts. Uh, Habsburg, as we know, is capable of winning last year. So I think 
you know, in our in our car this year, he'll be, you know, easily up there. So, you know, it's it's going to be really interesting. But, you know, that's all I'm going to do about thinking about opponents because as soon as I start thinking about everything, I don't perform as well. So I'm now going to start thinking about <laughs> <Do> me. You, <laughs> does your team share all the data? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, I think, I don't know because I haven't worked in the other teams, but there's quite a nice atmosphere in our team. Like we don't, constantly have communication with all the other engineers and drivers so we're sort of all doing our own little thing with a, a the, the only communication we get is sort of what we need for other information you know we're not all right you're doing that because this driver's the quickest type thing you know so um but yeah we all share data and uh i think you know this year you take the other guys get the fastest guys data from yeah each yeah, session, uh, yeah. yeah I, um and uh, i don't know how it works i don't know if it's the same as uf3 who people get quickest practice times from other teams i'm not i'm not sure but yeah within the team we all get our own data yeah so each other's <laughs> obviously the name on the entry list that that stands out is uh is mick schumacher at, at primer because he is the european f3 champion sorry done for yeah, no, no, reminding no, you about no, obviously you no. uh, you ran in close but <laughs> yes. um uh well let's for safety let's ask marcus about so <laughs> uh about mick schumacher. I mean, he's don't, come on don't ask me any questions about this i'm not gonna <laughs> say anything <laughs> but you know clearly mick schumacher he won the championship came on very strong and the the closing stages of the season so he's yeah. he's going to be a factor isn't he i i think it's worth at this point pointing out that really his if you trace it back and and we didn't really notice at the time but 12 months ago Macau 2017 was really when he turned a corner uh, and he put it he was the top Macau rookie in qualifying um in the qualification race he was actually challenging Ferdinand Habsburg and we saw what happened to Habsburg in the end he was battling for the lead at the last corner of the final and he actually did get past Habsburg going down in, into Lisboa and outbreaks him, but he also outbreaks himself. <laughs> so, so he dropped to the back of the field. So he finished virtually last. But then um, in the final, he was working his way up the order, had a gearbox problem, came in, had it fixed, and he got fastest lap by quite a few tenths of a second in 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 that race. So, really, if you, I mean, most, yeah, Macau especially is all about ifs and buts, isn't it? But when you I think on his day, he'll definitely definitely be a factor. Yeah, Yeah, I think, like, like, I think even this year he can make mistakes. You know, like outbreaking himself last year and stuff. So, I think if he performs to the best that he can and doesn't make any mistakes, he'll he'll definitely be a factor one hundred percent. So, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Have they got the same engines as you? They're Mercedes and we're uh, VW. So at Macau, that's another beauty of it. Is is largely about the driver, but I mean, obviously characteristic of the engine yeah can, yeah the, the power curves are all different between both engines and i wouldn't say neither one or the other really favors macau massively so yeah so marcus we there's a few drivers have been name checked there so if you're trying to pick out the sort of group of, of your sort of top tier favorites um oh yeah Tick, um, i mean ericsson has been mentioned has to be a put him on the spot who's your favorite yeah. <laughs> um yeah in lo- looking at the the real contenders are Dan, obviously, um, Joel Eriksson. He's going to be he's going to be really good, but he's he's obviously not been racing an F3 car this year, so he'll have had limited mileage. From what do I gather, though, I think it's he's going from DTM back to F3. But what I know from Ricky Collard coming out of British F3, going into the DTM, he found that easier than because apparently the driving style, and this came back to me from Andy Brio, um, Andy struggled to go from a conventional touring car to DTM because he said the guys who come from F3 into DTM are used to the downforce. You can brake late, turn in late, whereas guys on a conventional touring car, you haven't got downforce. The car rolls around a lot. So it'll be interesting to see now how he adapts to going from DTM back has he just had one day test or uh i actually don't know but i mean it won't be a lot no mm. and actually um antonio felix da costa the second time he won it in 2016 he was a bmw dtm driver that's that right so he was coming back to f3 yeah. so but maybe there's an omen there but, um, <laughs> go, on, go and try and get a day's run a dtm car yeah <laughs> and then there's there's yuri vips i mean he's he has absolutely no problem getting up to speed on street circuits straight away 
he did that spectacularly at Norris Ring. He did it too spectacularly for his and his mechanics uh, good at Poe at the beginning of the year. But, but I think he learned a bit of a lesson there. But, so I think he's going to be a, a real contender because he's, you know, he's, he's just very, very good at adapting. Um, and then, you know, Ferdinand Habsburg has had a shocking year, but he was quick in Macau last year. So that's, you know, the motor park contenders. Then I was uh, going to say, you've got some tough teammates yeah, here in your team. I certainly <laughs> have. And then at, at Premier, you probably include just about everybody in that lineup. Um, well, it's five at, of the top at, eight from the European Yeah, stage, at yeah. least to, to get on the podium. Ralph Aaron, I think, did very well in Macau last year after yeah, problems in qualifying good, yeah, yeah. and and I think he's he's going to be strong. Yeah, interesting one for me at Primer will be Marcus Armstrong because he's he had a bit of a shocking end to the season for various reasons but he he was looking very strong earlier on and and he was quick at Norris Ring took his only win of the season there um and a pole and then at, at Carlin you'd probably say Callum Eilert is the favorite there um and yeah, he should have. So it's it his fourth time there. Yeah, one, two, fourth attempt. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and it was he and Joel Eriksson, of course, who collided early on in the final last year to set up everything we all remember. And people usually forget the um, Eilat and Eriksson collision that happened very early on. But uh, yeah, um, Timo wasn't very happy about <laughs> that. Which corner was that? Where was that? Uh, I think it was Lisboa, wasn't it? Was it? It was. It was just after well. the virtual safety car finished, oh, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Who's who's the best Japanese now? So I've, I've, I'm out of touch. A bit, well, that's but. a good question. I mean, on paper, it showed Saboy, isn't it? Who's I think he's won something like 26 Japanese F3 races now for <laughs> yeah. a few years, and he won the title this year. But he hasn't had a, a stellar Macau in the past. Now the the problem for the for the Japanese is that um, from what I understand, they have um, a bit of an agreement among the teams in in Japan that they they don't develop certain parts of the car so it's just to keep costs down and uh so they drop a bit behind the europeans in that over here. So i think i think yeah <laughs> they, they have a bit of a handicap don't they mm. usually and then when so obviously when they go to macau it's a little bit difficult but out of the japanese teams are they um, on toyota engine still they're, they're on toyota, toyota. Yeah, yeah. but in a, in a macau context i think bmax are the strongest yes and they've got yeah. the volkswagen engine and a, a uh. uh, yeah just like i was talking about uh, Mick Schumacher's sort of below the radar performance in Macau last year. Um, Yuhi Sakaguchi, who, he's done super formula, isn't he? This year, yeah, so, he's, yeah, I mean, he's a super formula star. He's he's on his sixth visit to Macau, so he, he's the most experienced driver in the field in terms of Macau stars. Yeah, and he started a place behind Dan on the grid last year um, before he had an incident at Lisboa fairly early on in the race. So, yeah, um, he's yeah, they're potentially um, potentially a challenge. From there, not not to win, I don't think, but um, maybe to get on the podium if if there's quite a lot going on, let's say. And there's a, there's a couple of um, interesting names at High Tech as well. In, in Arm Ahmed, who if memory serves, went very well at Poe this year, and Jake Hughes, who Hughes coming, will be coming quick. back into. I think he'll be quick. I think I think Ahmed will struggle because he just gets all a bit excited. Bless him. <laughs> <laughs> Very so, uh, <laughs> and he'll probably laugh when he hears me say that, but uh, he knows what I mean. Ahmed again on his day, he'll be fast. So, but we'll see. Uh, uh, we'll see. Jake, Jake Hughes was strong there in 2016, and that was um, after he spent the year in GP3, and uh, he didn't come in and make a massive splash at any point. Um, for example, George Russell. It was his first visit to Macau, and he did that amazing pole lap, and everyone was going, yeah, that oh, was "Wow, that was a, yeah. that was fantastic!" Um, but then um, he went backwards in the race, and and it was actually Jake, and also that was Lando Norris's first visit to Macau. So obviously there was a lot of attention on him too, but it was actually Jake who ended up as the top Macau rookie that year after just what you'd probably say was a very very good solid performance. So um, ironically, um, he didn't do it. Macau last year which was his season of Formula 3 and then he's um, going back again this year again as a GP3 driver so um, but he, he should be good Well I guess we should probably start to wrap it up there but I do have to ask Dick with all this talk of F3 tempted to tempted for a team comeback? No <laughs> <laughs> Well it doesn't sound like there's much F3 left to come back to Well that's right it doesn't sound like the maths adds up as well which no. obviously is, of course is That's there. a very good way of putting it I would say yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No at my age you now we're just going to stick with three touring cars so 
Well, we should we should briefly say because we haven't really talked about it. You have had a, a pretty good season in British touring cars this year, so I yeah. guess, uh, you're very, you're very much a touring car team man now. So you must be. We won all three that. championships we could, but as Dan touched on earlier, for some reason we keep getting penalised because we win. Yet front wheel drives don't get penalised when they win, and the weight is we've had an extra thirty kilos thrown at us this year, so to still come out and win with it, but it's. It's very hard, you know, to win one race and win the championship shows the car has not got an advantage. It's just reliability, dialing the car into every track. Consistent drivers. It's consistent, you know, Colin's absolutely top class, but also is having the car that works at all different tracks. And also the other thing now, we've got a soft tyre, control tyre, hard tyre. So it's learning about getting those tyres working at each track we have to run them at and the different weather conditions, you know. You go to Brands Hatch in April, it's 4 degrees. Then you can be at Snetterton in July, it can be 30 degrees. So we're fortunate having three cars and three good engineers and myself. That depth of knowledge, you can use it. But it hasn't been a dominant car. And this is what frustrates us that, you know, we're waiting now to see if there's any penalties for next year. You know, mm. because Rebel Drives won it again. It's one of the things, isn't it? Penalties, um, performance balancing, I think, is the, the euphemistic way of putting it, isn't it? Well, the, now the way, um, going into Brands Hatch final, Colin leading the championship carries 75 kilos, plus the 20 kilos more than front-wheel drive, They, sorry, penalty to rear, 10 off front. So we were 105 kilos heavier than a front-wheel drive guy out of the top 10 in the championship. 105 kilos it's just you oh, know, it's just absurd isn't it it makes a car it's Dan, you know Dan, the car's lazy it's you got to change the setup round quite a lot but then if you finish outside you try and get the center of gravity as low as possible if you've got that much weight you know it's all, all, all yeah 105 kilos in a race car is it's massive it's yeah. just you know Colin's 68 kilos so you got his weight plus half a kilo next to you sitting next to you and you've got to qualify like that and race one like that. Then if you finish, say, fifth or sixth in race one, if you're lucky with that weight, you'll be down to 33-odd kilos race two. Then if you play your cards right, you'll finish somewhere around sixth, seventh. So you have the same weight again into the reverse grid race. So it's become a, a championship of strategy now, not pure outright who's got the quickest car. I think that's the one thing that is a bit of a shame that, as you say, it's very strategic and that does mean that I think everyone likes a varied championship, but you want the kind of cream to be able to rise consistently rather yeah. than just in the points. I think it is safe to say, though, that Macau and Touring Car definitely share one thing, is that they're both bloody excellent to watch. <laughs> you know, the Touring Car, the British Touring well, Car championship is fabulous to watch. Going through that kink, is it the Mandarin? Band? Mandarin, that, yeah. And like F3 cars just... That's just easy, yeah. Just easy. You don't even think about it. Yeah. Uh, Duncan Heisman, when we went together with two BMWs, Duncan said to Colin, you're flat through there. And Colin never been there. So Cole goes through there. And one of my sponsors was up on the hotel balcony watching. He said he's never seen a BMW go so sideways. And Colin came in and he said to Duncan, you told me it's flat. Colin tried going through there flat. And like massive lift and the back broke away. And he missed the wall. And like Duncan said, I was only winding you up. You know, <laughs> you know, we could have had a written off car. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what you want a Macau specialist because yeah. he's a good driver. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They arrived there at 165, 170 as well. So, yeah, definitely isn't flat in that. What is your top speed down there? Now? Uh, 270 kph. Really? Usually with a bit of a toe, yeah. Cool. Tops. Yeah. That's correct. Low downforce, yeah. I guess we've covered Macau pretty well in a few other topics. It's been fascinating to have the experience of. Uh, Kind of past and present at uh, at Macau, shall we? Uh, shall we say so? Thanks very much to uh, Dan. No worries at all. Good thank luck you. for for the weekend, and also to, yeah, no, good to, luck to, to you, Dan. For your, for your yeah. Thank you, yeah. and thank you for uh, to Marcus Simmons as well. Pleasure. Will you be able to follow the Macau Grand Prix on Autosport.com? Lots of news and uh, details about what's going on there from uh, from Marcus. Check out our plus subscriber area online. All sorts of in depth features on the whole world of Formula Three, Formula One, British touring cars. Sometime. Even check out sister titles, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly and motorsport.com. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast.
Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Just Because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. You don't need a reason when the one and only hot and melty sausage McMuffin with egg is just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.